listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about uh, maybe the most famous thing that Jesus ever did but I think often the most misunderstood thing. We're talking about when he washed his disciples' feet. He got a towel, he asked them to kick off their shoes, and he washed their feet. Now, I see some of you squirming. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to take off your shoes. I'm not going to wash your feet this morning. Uh, Because what we're talking about is, uh, I think, the most surprising, astonishing a spellbinding act of service, act of humility the world has ever seen. And I'm here to tell you this morning, y'all, that act, listen, it had nothing to do with a little hand towel. It had nothing to do with a little basin of water. The act that Jesus is talking about this morning is the cross. That's what it's all about. You know, my kids, my kids are little, and they're in the what you doing phase, Right? So no, I can't, if I'm doing something for more than half a second, I've got a kid on my heel, right, going, what you doing? What you doing? Right? They want to know. They want to know everything I'm doing. And so you may imagine one morning I'm in the kitchen. I've got skillet. I've got the carton of eggs. I'm going to make breakfast. Caleb runs up there, dad, dad, what you doing? And I might say, oh, well, I'm hitting the skillet with an egg. Well, yeah, literally at that exact moment, maybe that's what I'm doing, but that's not what I'm really doing, is it? What I'm really doing is cooking breakfast. Y'all, this morning, Jesus is about to go to the cross. And this is an event that we know when it happens, no one understands it. No one gets it. Paul says to half the world, it's a total scandal. Other half of the world, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's a folly. And so before it happens, Jesus is gathering his disciples and he's saying, listen, you're not asking, but let me tell you, this is what I'm doing. This is the cross. He's going to show show us three things about the cross this morning, I think. Here's what we're going to learn, that the cross is ugly, that it's necessary, and that it will change you. Get out your Bibles. We'll be in John 13. We're going to go through the whole chapter. I'm going to start off reading verse 1 through 3, if you want to turn there in your Bible. John writes this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Okay, let's pause there. Man, his first three verses is filled with gravity. Big things are happening, that's what it feels like. So he starts off saying, Jesus knew his hour had come to depart. He knows this is about it. He knows this is his last teaching session with his disciples. In fact, this starts the final discourse from Jesus. It's going to last about five chapters. And Jesus knows this is the last time I'm going to circle up with everyone and have a chance to teach them before I go to my death. So these are his last words. They're a big deal. And he even says in verse 1 that, What's coming? Jesus will love his own to the end. That word, that end, that means the final goal, to the uttermost, to the fullest extent. So what you are about to see 
is the fullest extent of Jesus' love for his disciples. That's what we're about to see before us. In verse 3, it talks about he, he knew the Father had given him all things, that he had come down from the Father, and he was about to return the Father. So what's in Jesus' mind right now? His mission. His whole mission for coming to the earth. The, his whole reason for being there. He's saying, hey, I know I came from the Father, and I'm about to return. Why? Because my mission is accomplished. I've done what I came to do. So this ought to be good, right? This ought to be a big deal. This is full of gravity. Well, let's keep reading and see what he does. So he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So what's his mission? What's the fullest, uttermost extent of his love? Well, he lays his garments down and picks up the towel of a servant and washed their feet. Now, y'all, this is hard for us to really understand uh, how disgusting this was, how shocking it was. We would all, I think we would all agree, feet are gross. I think we're all on team, feet are gross, right? We're all there. Y'all, our feet are like fresh washed linens compared to feet in those days. You know, we mostly, we have kind of closed-toed shoes. We walk on sidewalks and paved streets. Not back then. All they had was sandals. And they walked on dirt roads sometimes, sometimes rocky roads. Man, those feet got calloused. They got cut up. They got bloody. And guess what? When you're walking through a town... That town does not have indoor plumbing. Guess where all that plumbing goes? Into the streets. And that's what they're walking through. In fact, y'all, this was so disgusting. It was against the Jewish law to make your slave, if your slave was Jewish, it was against the law to make that slave wash your feet. Even for a slave, that's how disgusting it was. That's how unclean it made that person. And in some cities, in some municipalities, it doesn't matter what faith or uh, what ethnicity that slave was. You were not allowed to make your household slave wash your feet. And y'all, slaves didn't have any rights back then. That's like the one thing you weren't allowed to ask them to do was this. In fact, y'all, it's so absurd. It's so unheard of. There's no place anywhere else in all of Greco-Roman literature, all of ancient Jewish literature, where a master washes his disciples' feet. No prophet, no teacher, no master unheard of. And here's the reason, guys. This act, it wasn't just uh, humbling. It was humiliating. That's what it was. It was humiliating. That's why it was such a scandal. Here's what Jesus is trying to prepare us for. The cross is ugly. It is absolutely ugly. Because here's the thing. Picking up a servant's towel isn't nearly as humiliating as the God of the universe putting on flesh, being tortured, beaten, stripped naked, and dying a criminal's death for your sins. That's why Jesus gives this humiliating picture to explain the cross. And this is why most people didn't understand it. You know, most people, they didn't miss Jesus because he was too high, too lofty, you know, uh, levitated and glue in the dark all the time, uh, and spoke with such gravitas all the time. No, no, that's not... Most people missed him because he was too low, because he looked too much like a servant, because he died a criminal's death, and people could not wrap their minds around God dying this kind of death. It's too ugly. In fact, y'all, it's so ugly, Peter can't stomach it. He can't take it. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, 
do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you, don't under, you do not understand now, but afterward you'll understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You can almost hear Peter say, you wash my feet? Why? We have, Peter, remember, he's the one who confessed that Jesus is the Christ. He at least seems to have some understanding of the greatness of Jesus, and he knows his feet are stinky, right? He feels exposed. He feels uncomfortable because of his dirtiness, right? I got news for you, men and women. Your feet aren't nearly as dirty as your heart is. That's the reality. Your feet are not nearly as dirty as your heart is. And let me ask you, have you ever watched someone you love suffer for what you've done? Suffer for your sins? You know, in high school, I played football, and I was an offensive lineman and not a very good one. And so we had, there's several different blocks we had in our repertoire that we could use. You know, there's like a reach block and down block and double team and all these things. We also had a look, a block called the lookout block. And that was when you were so terrible at your job at what you were supposed to do. You got whooped so bad, uh, that defensive lineman was just headed straight for the quarterback. And all you could do was turn around and scream, look out! And that's all you, that's all you got, right? Uh I pulled off the lookout block many times in my career, let's say. But I got to tell you, that's a bad feeling. When you know you messed up because of your mistake, your friend is about to take the hit. You can't stop it. And you know, you're like, throw throw the ball away, take a knee, uh, blow the whistle, something. You'll do anything in that moment to stop it. But you can't, and you know it's your fault. Have you ever seen the children pay the price for your anger? Your spouse pay the price for your selfishness? Maybe your employees pay the price for your incompetence? Man, that's not fun. That's where Peter is. It's these moments of kind of this jarring humility that wakes us up. And all of a sudden we see our sin. We see the tragic results of it. We see that those who suffer, it's not just me, it's the people around us who suffer and it shakes us awake. And y'all rightfully so. It should. So what do you do with that guilt? Well, Jesus points Peter to the cross. Verse 7, he says, listen, Peter, I know you're uncomfortable with this. When it looks like I'm getting whooped up on that cross, you remember this. Remember what I'm about to tell you. Verse 8, he says, unless this happens, you have no share with me. Uh, That word, that share, means portion, merit, inheritance. It's the same word uh, that they used to describe in the Old Testament when God called the people of Israel and he gave him the promised land. And each tribe had a portion, that's that same word, a portion of that land that God had promised them. It's, It's the reception of the promises of God is what it is. And Jesus says, listen, unless this happens... You have no portion with me. And so what he's telling Peter in this moment is, Peter, I know the cross is ugly, but it must be done. The cross is necessary. The cross is necessary. Something must be done about your sin if you and I are going to have a relationship. It's got to happen. That's what he's saying. Well, Peter has some more objections. So let's skip ahead. Let's skip to verse 36 where Peter speaks up again. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, 
He knows what he's thinking. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, really? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. In verse 36, Jesus tells him, look, where I'm going, you can't follow. You cannot do this, Peter, as much as you may want to. And y'all, this is important for us to hear because many of us, man, we know our sin, we know our guilt, and it drives us. And so we, so we try everything we, do, we can to do penance sometimes, don't we? Man, we, we serve everywhere, and we don't complain, and we work hard, and we try all we can to sit straight and fly right. I mean, if I, if I try hard enough, I can do it. And Jesus is telling us this morning, no. You can't. You can't do it. I have to. And to illustrate just how vain our attempts to save ourselves, to make up for our own sin are, verse 37, Peter, I will lay down my life for you. Man, Peter, you know, he's a ready, fire, aim type of guy. That's who Peter is. And you can hear the passion in his voice, can't you? His passion can't not be denied. And you know what? I have no doubt that he was entirely sincere in that moment. He meant every word of it. No doubt about that. And Jesus says, really, Peter? Really? You're going to lay down your life for me. And it's almost humorous, isn't it? Because we know how, what's going to happen. We know. With all, despite all that gusto, despite all that willpower, Peter is going to crumble in fear at a 13-year-old girl. Right? Mr. I will lay down my life for you is going to end up saying, oh, I, I never knew. No, I didn't know the guy. No idea who he is. You got the wrong person. Right? And Jesus knows this. He's saying the cross is necessary. And one of the reasons it's necessary is because you can't do it. You don't have the ability. You don't have the willpower. Only I, through the cross, can cleanse you of your sin. That's what he's saying. So to show another side of the same coin, we get Judas. We get this episode in verse 18 through 30 where Jesus says he's going to be betrayed. And he says, I know who it is. And he dips some bread uh, and gives it to one of the disciples. He gives it to Judas. And that was fulfillment of prophecy, Psalm 41. Y'all, Jesus is in total control here. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And we can learn a lot from Judas, I think. There's a lot of lessons here. Here's the main reason I think John puts Judas right here, right where he puts him. It's this, to show us that the cross is necessary. Think about Judas. This is, have you ever thought about his life? Y'all, this is amazing to me. He had the best teacher anyone could have. Hey, you want to get in a good small group? You want to get in a good life group? He had the best life group ever, Right? I think my life is pretty good. It's nothing compared to Jesus being your life group leader. He had the best discipleship training, the best preacher, the most incredible moral example. Followed him around for years. You know what Judas also had? He had incredible impact on people's lives. Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the disciples to do ministry, to impact people's lives. And it says they, they go out, they heal the sick, they cast out Satan, they even raise the dead. And Judas is specifically listed among those. You know, God used Judas powerfully in people's lives. He absolutely did. Here's what I think is the most telling thing about Judas. He didn't stand out amongst the other disciples. So when Jesus says, hey, someone's going to betray me, it's not like the disciples said, yeah, no lie. 
They had no clue. No idea. He didn't stand out. In fact, in one of the other Gospels, the, uh, the disciples look around and are like, is it me? They thought maybe it was, it was them before it was Judas. Isn't that unbelievable? And what we get is this hilarious scene to me. I mean, it's right out of my seventh grade. They want to know who it is. And so for the first time, we hear the term, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we think is John. They got right in this. But this is the first time he calls himself that. And it's because the disciples need to know who Jesus' favorite is so that person can ask Jesus who's going to betray him. And so Peter leans over and is like, he's kind of mad at me right now. Uh, He loves you. You ask him. Yeah, you ask him. Right? They have no idea. In fact, when Judas gets up to leave... They think maybe he's going to feed the poor. They think maybe he's going to have a more impact in more people's lives. Man, we're out here lounging around with Jesus, and he's off to do more good works. What a great guy, right? Perhaps most amazing of all, Judas just has his, had his feet washed. But he wasn't clean, men and women. Why? It's not about the foot washing. It's about the cross. It's about putting your faith in Jesus cleansing you of your own sin by his blood shed on the cross. That's the whole point of the whole book. Let's return to John 20, 31. You've probably heard this verse 10 times by now in this series. John tells us, here's why I'm writing to you about Jesus washing the disciples' feet and everything else. Verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may have your sins washed clean. The cross is necessary. You can do all the things. Judas did all the things, and you can too. You have the best preachers, the impact on the most lives. You can do all of it, but without the cross, your heart is not clean. So the cross was ugly because it's our sins. It's necessary. No one else can do it, but you know what? It'll change you. It'll absolutely change you. Let's read, pick it up back back up in verse 12. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then, if I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Twice, in verse 13 13 and 14, he tells them who he is to them. He says, I'm your teacher and your Lord. What he's saying there is, I don't want to just be your teacher. I don't want to just be your information giver, your advisor, you know, uh, your self-help guru. No, 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 no. The things that you see and you hear, I want them to change you. I want them to make you become a certain kind of person. And so he says in verse 14 and 15, this is an example. You are to do as I have done. The cross is not just something done for you. It's something done to you. It changes you. That's why he said in Matthew 16, he said, hey, if you want to follow me, that's great. I want you to follow me. Please follow me. And here's how you do that. You take up your cross and you follow me. You know, verse 17 is John's beatitude. Matthew has 10 beatitudes. John just has the one. It's the same word, blessed. Look at it. What does he say? Hey, having known these things, when does the blessing come? You're blessed 
when you do them. That's when the blessing comes. You know, too often, I think we totally misapply the cross in our life. I think for some of us, sometimes, you know what the cross is? Man, it's something that matters that first time I put my faith in Christ. And then when I die, it'll matter, you know, in the future. It'll matter then because then I don't have to go to hell. I get to go to heaven. But now, today, all those years in between, what does it matter? Sometimes we don't know, right? Here's the other thing I think we do with the cross sometimes, you know? Man, we... Man, we look at it, we behold it, and we say, Christ, he suffered, he sacrificed for me, hallelujah, and the application for my life is, I should never suffer, and my life's going to be awesome. Isn't that how we apply it to our lives sometimes? Oh, we've missed it. We've missed it. See, Jesus, men and women, Jesus presents the cross to us not as a fact, but as an example. You don't just know about it, you model your life after it, the cross will change you. So how do we model our life after it? Well, you know, here, here's what's great about this passage. You know, sometimes you got to prepare a sermon and you read a passage and it's full of great truth. And you're like, this is amazing. This is true. How do I apply it? I don't know. And Jesus right here, he tells us over and over. He repeats it over and over. Here's how you apply it in your life. And he says, he says it through a new commandment. Let's pick it back up in verse 31. It says this, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So he gives us this commandment in verse 34. So sounds really not optional. Sounds like not a suggestion. Uh, the Greek word for command means command, right? We can get that. He, said, he, he, he says, command to love one another. And so this is fascinating to me. In the context, he's talking about the disciples and their love for one another. Now, it's not that we're not supposed to love other people. Absolutely, the Bible talks about that a ton of places. But here, specifically, the context is your love for the body of Christ, your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of us in this room, those of us who are upstairs, maybe across the street, that's who he's talking about specifically here. But, you know, I was studying this, and I, I had to ask, okay, in what sense is this new, though? It's not like God had never told people to love God and love people. This is not new to them. It's not like Jesus said, hey guys, here's the big reveal. You're supposed to be loving. And they're like, what? We've never heard that. No, it's all throughout the Old Testament law. It's in Deuteronomy. It's in Leviticus. It's, I mean, you can essentially break up the Ten Commandments into loving God and loving people. That's what it is. That's not the new part. So what's new? How is it a new commandment? Two ways. And I think this is the application for us this morning. And it's type and in its power. I think what Jesus is asking us to do this morning, first, love one another like the cross. Like the cross, that's the type of love. You know what's interesting? Man, you go anywhere in the world and you ask them, hey, do you love somebody? Do you love something? Do you know what love is? Everyone's going to say yes. And I'm sure it was that way back then. They, they thought they knew how to love, right? They thought uh, that they had a love for people in their life. They thought they had been loved. We all know love. We sing songs about it. You don't need Jesus for that, Right? You know what's interesting, though? 
What we often mean by love is the exact opposite of what Jesus is about to model on the cross. It's the exact opposite. What we usually mean when we say love is actually just selfish affection. So we say, I love you. What we mean is, I want to meet my needs through you. That's what I want. And so I want to have you. I want to own you. And it's really this understanding of love that's all about me. That's our natural understanding. And so what we call love is often just closer to maybe an appetite, maybe a hunger. You know, I love what fills me up. I love what makes me feel good. And so the things I love, really, I mean, just the things that I'm attracted to. And so I might be uh, attracted to your personality. I might be attracted to your body. I might be attracted to your success. I might be attracted to how you make me feel. But it's all really about me, and I'm just using you for me. Think about it this way. What if you could only define love, the only understanding you could have of love, the only way you could define it was by looking at the cross? Would that redefine it for you a little bit? The cross love is different Cross love is sacrificial. It's not about me at all. The Greeks understood this. That's, you've probably heard this. That's why they had three words for love. We just have one, and we kind of make it mean everything. They had three. And what Jesus is using here is specifically agape love. And here's how they would have understood it. Here's the definition. It's the kind of love that seeks the highest, greatest good of another. And here's what's baked in. It's baked into the definition. Agape cannot exist apart from action. It can't. And so it's not an intention. It's not a thought. It's not a feeling. It's a sacrifice. That's what that kind of love is. And so love, according to the cross, is about service, not attraction. It's about service, not attraction. Cross love says, I love you. And here's what cross love means by that. It means, I want your best. I want to bring you to God, and I'll do anything it takes to get you there. That's what cross love is. And it's just not about what I get out of it. And y'all, here's the worst part, okay? I wish I could soften it, and not just for you, like for me, I wish I could soften it. It involves some stinky feet. Even worse, those stinky feet are connected to stinky people. So picture Jesus here. He's going to the cross, ultimate picture of sacrifice, and he's washing the feet of Judas, who he knows is about to betray him. He's washing his feet of Peter, who he knows will run in fear from a 13-year-old girl from him, okay? No no offense to the 13-year-old girls in the room. What are these people doing for Jesus? What can they do for Jesus? Nothing, because it's about sacrifice. So let me ask you this morning, do you have this type of love for God's people? Let me ask it another way. Do you have this type of service in your life for God's people? Because according to what Jesus is modeling here, those are the same question, aren't they? They're the exact same question. Not just an attention, not just a feeling, not a thought, personal sacrifice. That's how the cross is defining love. And listen, I want to be careful because, man, there's so many of you who serve and sacrifice and don't think about yourselves ever at all. And it's amazing. And we see that over and over again. And listen, let me just say, if you're here and you're thinking like, man, you know, I serve in 32 different ways every week. Maybe I can fit in a 33rd. I'm not talking to you, okay? We'll, We'll talk about you next. But right now, I'm not talking about you. But at the same time, 
I don't want to let us off the hook too easy. I don't want to let myself off the hook too easy. And listen, for this stuff, y'all, I don't have to look any farther than in the mirror. And there's plenty of selfishness right then and there. Here's how I think this plays out today. You know, I don't think any of us would ever say, well, I'm too important to serve. Right? We know better than that. We're too nice for that. I don't think any of us would ever say, well, you don't really do enough for me for me to serve you. You know, at least not out loud. We wouldn't say that. Man, you know what we'll say? A lot. We say a lot. I say a lot. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Men and women, I would argue it's the same thing. We have just found a nicer way to say it. Because what we really usually mean is, you know, after I do all the things that are important to me and I like and fill me up with whatever's left, I'll decide if I'm too busy or not. Isn't that what we usually mean? And y'all, I was so convicted this week because it is hard to say that. And I do, I say it all the time. It is hard to say that at the foot of the cross, isn't it? Oh, I'm too busy. I'm too important. I got too much going on. While you're looking at the Savior of the world, give his life for you. And so I know, guys, we are busy, aren't we? Anybody not busy here? Anyone want to know? I know. I know we're all busy. We're all doing all the things and running around chasing kids and doing stuff with our spouse and school and work and a lot of us. I, I know. I know we're all busy. But you know what I can't get over? I can't stop thinking about this week. Netflix. Y'all, Netflix is killing it. They are killing it. In fact, I, wanted to, I was curious. I want to know how much they were killing it. I Googled it. You know how much money they made in 2018? Last year alone, $15.79 billion. Yes, I said it was a B, billion dollars. So in a world, in a culture where everyone is too busy to serve one another, a company whose sole function in life is to help us veg out. Y'all, they are swimming in the money like Scrooge McDuck. That's what's going on here. In fact, you can look that up too. I, I, I wrote that down, and I was like, I wonder how much money was in Scrooge McDuck's fault. You can Google it. Somebody did the math and figured it out, how much money is in Scrooge McDuck's fault. What a time to be alive. Okay. Maybe we're not being completely honest with ourselves about our priorities and about our time. Right? Because this, this $15.79 billion dollars Keep staring back at me when I want to say I'm too busy. Cross love isn't a love of convenience. It's a love of sacrifice. And so that sacrifice, listen, it may be a little free time. I hope, I hope that's all it is. I hope it's just, I'll watch a little less Netflix. That'd be great. You know what? It may mean you make less money at your job. It may mean you get passed up for a promotion and you're not as successful. It may mean you are intensely uncomfortable. I've never been on a cross, but from what I understand, it's pretty uncomfortable. You know what? It may mean you don't get to do that thing that you love quite as much. It may mean there's a few more deer that get to frolic about and live another year. I don't know. Now, don't. No one threw anything at me, okay? I know. I know. It's a love of sacrifice. And here again... Here's the part I wish I could soften it. I wish I could tell you, hey, you let a couple more deer live, 
And, you know, man, you come here and people are going to throw you on the shoulder and we're going to hoist you around and we're going to have a parade and everyone's going to think you're the greatest human being that ever lived. I wish, I wish, I wish. It might be that all you get in return is some stinky feet connected to stinky people. That might be the case. Oh, well, that sounds hard. And it is. That's why you will never do it on your own. And that's what Jesus wants to understand here. Here's the second application this morning. Don't just love like the cross, love one another in the power of the cross. He says it over and over. He doesn't say love one another in isolation. Over and over, he says, just as I have loved you. Only do it after you've received it. Let me ask you this morning, you know, to the extent you serve, and many of you do, why do you do it? Because listen, you don't have to be spiritual or a Christian to appreciate service. We live in a culture that loves service, that'll pat you on the back for service. So why do you do it? You know, naturally in our flesh, we love others so that we'll be loved back. That's just naturally how we operate, isn't it? And so the church is full of people trying to love God so that God or someone else will love them back. But y'all, that's not a Christian. That's not what a Christian does. What a Christian does is a Christian is someone who says, if, not so that. And so it's not, hey, I'm going to go to love so that God will love me. Here's what a Christian says. If, if the God of the universe can do that for me, then yeah, I can go serve. It's not about me. So it's only after you receive love that is free and full will you be able to love someone else. You know what I find fascinating? My jaw dropped when I saw this. You know, it was only after Judas left that he gave the commandment. Jesus never commanded Judas to go love one another. Why? We'll be like asking a dog to paint the Mona Lisa. It's not in the cards. It's not going to happen. He doesn't have the ability. He can't do it. Why? Because he never put his faith in Jesus, and he didn't receive that love. To the cross, men and women, it's not just an example. It's an empowerment. It's a new power. When we behold it, when we take it in, it changes our life. Watch this. This is so amazing. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. We'll put it on the screen. And this is, this is amazing. Paul writes this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. So when, we, when the veil is lifted and we see God for who he is, we see his glory, here's what happens. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. He's saying when we see God's glory, it changes us. So we reflect that exact same glory from one glory to another. Now that word glory ought to sound familiar because John uses it five times in two verses. In verse 31 and 32, it's just glory, 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 glory. So what does that mean? Well, to be glorified is to be revealed in such a way as to be thought good, to be agreed to be good. And so when something is glorified, it's when something that's always existed, always been there, but it's unveiled, it's revealed. And when it's revealed, it's made plain so that all agree that that thing is good. And so when Jesus says at the cross, God will be glorified, he says, Man, when I'm on that cross, who God is, is going to be revealed. It will be seen. The veil will be lifted off some, and they will behold his glory. And what is revealed will bring forth worship. That's what he's saying in verse 31 and 32. Now watch this. Verse 35. That glorifying task, it moves. It moves from Jesus to you. How? 
when you love one another. It says, this is how all people will know you're my disciples, when they see this, when they see the disciples sacrificially loving one another. It will display who God is. It will glorify him so that those who see it will praise him. It's the ultimate apologetic is what he's saying. So you want to get into apologetics? Man, great, awesome. You know, study science, study creationism, study philosophy, study all those things, and then go love one another. And that'll be the apologetic no one can argue with. Men and women, our love for one another is the way the invisible God becomes visible. That's what it is. Not by attendance and our t-shirts and our cross necklaces and the radio we listen to, but by authentic observable, sacrificial love. Why? Because that's something no human being will do on their own. We just won't do it. Only divine love that has transformed a person can do that. And so when people see that, this is what he's saying. This is what John's saying. When people see that, it is as if people who see that are standing at the foot of the cross watching the God of the universe suffer to make them clean. He is revealed. He's revealed and glorified to a watching world. And y'all, I read that, and I'm like, I started off saying the cross is ugly, but this is beautiful, isn't it? This is beautiful, that how we love and serve one another can make the invisible God visible. That is beautiful. Amen? Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.